Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Jeffrey Heller about understanding your legal rights after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are leaders in neural recovery and experienced in treating complex concussion cases with dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They've greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at the Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, which is available on Amazon, and I recently launched the Brain Health Magazine, and you can grab your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. And don't forget to join my Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, and connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, our guest is Jeffrey Heller, and he is a trial attorney with the law firm of Nuremberg, Paris, Heller, and McCarthy, located in Cleveland, Ohio. He frequently represents traumatic brain injury survivors in a wide range of cases, including medical malpractice, motor vehicle and truck accidents, premises liability, and construction defect cases. He has dedicated his career to understanding and explaining the challenges TBI survivors face, from their significant rehabilitation hurdles to the malingering myth many insurance companies argue. He has been recognized as a super lawyer, rising star, and American's top 100 personal injury attorney, and a national trial, trial lawyer's top 40 under 40. So welcome to the podcast, Jeffrey. So happy to have you here. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. Well, Jeffrey, I would love to start by having you just share with us how you came to work so closely with the TBI community. Um, you know, it's it's always very important for someone looking for a lawyer to find a lawyer that understands TBI because not all of them do. <laughs> um, so, how what brought you to this this niche? Yeah, I'm glad you you asked that, and uh, you were completely right. You know, there, there's definitely a difference between having an advocate on your side who understands the ins and outs of, of being a, a TBI survivor and someone who isn't. And I was uh, fortunate uh, to start my career as a county prosecutor. Uh, many states call them district attorneys. But as a prosecutor, uh, unfortunately, many of the victims I represented um, were victims of crime suffered traumatic brain injury in a variety of ways. Unfortunately, some at the hands of, of gunshot wounds, 
uh, others at the hands of just physical assaults, robberies. Uh, one of the first uh, cases I had that went to trial as a prosecutor involved uh, a store clerk who was robbed and pistol whipped and lost consciousness. And uh, one of the main claims in that case was the pistol whip did not cause serious physical harm uh, to the store attendant. And if it did not cause serious physical harm, then the elements of a robbery could not be proven in court and and the uh, defendant would not be found responsible for, for robbing the store. So that was my first experience with proving that a, a traumatic brain injury, which we would now obviously know is, is serious physical harm, uh, but um, you know, proving that to a jury and, and having them understand that. And uh, after my time as a, a prosecutor, I was fortunate to transition to a civil plaintiff's personal injury law firm, Nuremberg Paris, where I am today. Uh, we've been in business for 92 years, and we handle uh, wide-ranging cases of, of traumatic brain injury survivors um, from cases like fall downs, uh, Amy, just like, you know, what you experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if, if that situation happened on someone else's property and they were responsible for your fall, then, you know, that's the type of case we would pursue uh, to um, represent the, the TBI survivor. Um, we obviously handle car accidents and truck accidents, and I know you've, you've seen uh, many people that you deal with and many of the providers uh, taking care of victims of, of car accidents and truck accidents. And, and then, uh, you know, some of the most severe cases uh, we handle are uh, medical malpractice cases, unfortunately, oftentimes involving children who are not monitored appropriately and lose oxygen to their brain, uh, either in the process of being delivered um, through pregnancy and delivery, or later on when they make a trip to the hospital and are, uh, you know, not monitored appropriately and, and suffer some very traumatic uh, brain injuries. So that's that's kind of the story that that uh, brings me here today. Mm-hmm. And in your bio, you have a great um, uh, phrase in there about the malingering myth that many insurance companies argue. And, you know, I I never personally heard this word, but I know a lot of people who are told they're malingering. Um, So let's talk about that for a little bit. Like what is malingering for those who maybe don't know that word? Um, And, you know, how do you argue that when the other insurance company is trying to say that? Right. So malingering quite, simply is faking. Um, It is an actual uh, diagnosis in the DSM-5, and uh, oftentimes in cases where there is not objective evidence of a traumatic brain injury, meaning uh, evidence on an MRI or CT scan, the defense in those cases most often is that there's a, a profit motive behind the case And because the injury is not visible on radiography, the patient or client uh, or plaintiff that I'm representing must be faking. And to 
discuss that with a client of mine and tell them that the defense is, is claiming that this is all made up is, is one of the hardest conversations you can have. Um, but in this line of work, it is, it is often raised. And the, the way to counter that is, quite frankly, to know uh, what is objectively found uh, on radiography and, and what is not. And most practitioners, most medical providers, most neurologists uh, will, will explain that a very small fraction of traumatic brain injury is even visible on MRI or CT scan. Mm-hmm. And that MRIs and CT scans are designed to show bleeding. Uh, obviously, those are, um, you know, that's the most serious thing that that a emergency room, for example, would want to treat. If a, a patient with a head, head injury came into the hospital, they would want to rule out bleeding. Um, but, you know, uh, around 75% of traumatic brain injuries are not visible on MRI or CT scan. The, the neurons that are sheared and torn uh, do not create bleeding. And so uh, really the, the best way uh, to, to counter that is to get into the science behind uh, traumatic brain injury. Yeah. And, you know, I know for me, even when I went to the neuropsychologist, um, my my neurologist had sent me not not the other insurance company or anything like that, but um, she basically told me um, I was faking it that I hadn't tried hard enough on on my test. And wow. I remember just looking at her, and and then she wanted to put me on antidepressants and Ritalin. And I remember looking at her and going, "How's that going to help my brain injury?" And she's like, "Well, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're just depressed." And I was just like, what? And then, you know, I got her report. I I requested the full report. And, like, you know, possible psychosomatic situation. And and I'm just like, she's supposed to be the expert. And, And like I said, this wasn't like an IME or anything. This was my own doctor sent me to her. And I was just, like, blown away, like, really? How, like, how did you make those deductions? So basically my short-term memory, I scored worse than a dementia patient. Like that was my lowest. And then um, also spatial reasoning, I scored poorly on, but everything else was, you know, normal. And I've later learned that if, like, if you were to fake a test, it would show across the board. Like if it shows up dramatically in one category, that means you have a deficit. And so now knowing what I know and looking back, it's just, it just kind of blows my mind. And this is not an uncommon story. I hear it over and over in my group. And, you know, I can't even imagine when it's an IME independent medical exam, um, when that other insurance company has you take it and, and then they, they try to make you, you know, feel like you're faking it. Like, how do you even combat that? It's that's so difficult, and, and I'm sorry that you went through that. I mean, I, I see it firsthand when my my clients have to submit to testing, and, and sometimes it's hours and hours, and they feel horrible doing it. The results are bad, and, and the results uh, from the doctors that they're faking it, and, and it's not accurate. And you know, the truth is, I have. Well, let me back up. Um, as you know, and, and but some of your listeners might not know, 
is that when you pursue a lawsuit for injury, um, including obviously traumatic brain injury, you do have to uh, bring in experts, uh, usually medical doctors, DOs, who can um, prove that the injuries you suffered were due to whatever claim you're presenting, car accident, truck accident, a fall down, that sort of thing. Um, in Ohio, the law requires that. So you cannot prove your case without an expert. And, you know, we pride ourselves on having access to the best experts in the country, and we bring them in routinely on, on our cases. But I will hear myself from some of these experts, you know, you have a, you have a tough case on your hands. Uh, you know, this usually uh, people don't pursue cases like this. Usually uh, patients don't want to go through cases like this. And that, and, and that's really, uh, that's the truth behind a lot of these, these cases is that um, they are tough cases and you are subjected to tests and multiple different ways. The uh, insurance companies who, who really are driving the defenses in these cases, uh, how the insurance companies try to, uh, minimize what you're going through, what the patient is going through, what the plaintiff is going through, and, and try to prove that it, it's all fake. Um, you know, one of the common ways to combat that is introducing uh, other witnesses, not experts, but just uh, coworkers, family, friends, mm, yeah, um, people, you know, that can really come in. And, and Amy, in your instance, you know, talk about who you were before the accident happened, literally a week before. Who, who was the last person you saw before you fell? And have them come in and, and walk through the conversation you had, where you were, what you were doing, how you were acting, and then uh, contrast that with, you know, the next time that person saw you and, and what difference what differences they saw in you. Um, that's, that's oftentimes uh, the, the best way to, to, to counteract that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I, I remember I did go through some of that with my lawyer. He did interview um, some of my friends that knew me prior to my accident. Um, and I hear that very commonly with um, people in my group, but you know, it is, it's, it's so, you know, when the other team is trying to undermine you and accuse you of faking it and, you know, trying to say that there's nothing wrong with you, right? Like, and here you are struggling to do day-to-day tasks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I couldn't use the microwave for months. There were too many buttons that confused me. I didn't know what to do. And I mean, how, like, how for granted do we take using the microwave? Right. (laughs) Um, I couldn't remember how to use my camera settings. Like I knew that I had to change something, but I didn't know what, and I'd been a photographer my whole life. Um, You know? And so when people on the other team are trying to undermine you and devalue you, um, you know, how as a lawyer, how do you help your clients, get through that great question um i mean the the paramount and probably most important thing that any uh, tbi victim or 
or ultimately a uh, survivor can do is get a lawyer involved as soon as possible. Yes. Um, all the things that you went through, all the difficulties you were having day to day need to be captured. You know, that's evidence to present to a jury to prove what you went through, are going through, will go through. Uh, fortunately, in a lot of these cases, uh, we could say fortunately or unfortunately, but because of the, how long the process takes, fortunately, some of my clients have recovered. Um, you know, I think the statistics will show that or do show that about a year after uh, a mild traumatic brain injury, around 75 to 90% of individuals who undergo real treatment um, generally get back to uh, some level of normalcy, not 100%, but um, somewhere near that. And so if that person goes in front of a jury and explains what they went through and, and how it was, but they come across as competent, articulate, uh, good, with good thought process and reasoning, you know, it's going to be hard for a jury to understand what that person went through if it's not captured. So bringing a lawyer in at the beginning um, is really crucial. Also, uh, you know, the, the litigation process, the lawsuit process is not, uh, is, is not a smooth process, and it's not a quote-unquote fun process for, for anyone. Um, you really have to understand what you're getting yourself into before you go down, down that avenue. And having a lawyer who will take the time to sit down with you and explain the entire process and what to expect, I have seen helps TBI survivors because they, they at least have some understanding that it's not going to be, unfortunately, a, a pleasant experience. It really is not. And what we have done sometimes where uh, clients have to come and, and give a deposition, I'm not sure if you had to do that in your situation, Amy, but um, where it comes time for the insurance company to question you under oath and walk through everything that happened in the accident and then also every little bit of medical treatment you've gone through and, and they scrutinize it and they, they try to poke holes in it and they try to, like we were talking before, expose that this is just some big sham. Uh, what we will do is have a therapist sit next to uh, our client or a social worker or someone with training on how to ease the, the fear and the concerns of the, of our client and, and there's, there are little things like that you can do to make the process a little smoother and a little, little uh, easier to, to go through uh, because the, the process itself is really daunting. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's something that, you know, the insurance companies who are obviously defending all these cases, they know. And I've had situations where, um, you know, experts who are, who are treating my client or, or just their regular medical providers have said that depositions are either re-traumatizing or further yeah. traumatizing the, the, the client. And that is, that's just a horrible feeling that the process itself is harming 
harming the client. So, but there are little little things you can do. And again, it's if you if you bring in a lawyer early on who's sophisticated, knows the ins and outs of of traumatic brain injury cases, and can anticipate the rough spots in the case. Um, you know, the the goal is to create a support system around the the, the patient, the client, uh, to to try to make the process as easy as possible. And then when it comes to the trial, obviously rehearsing and and making sure that they feel comfortable. I have cases right now that are set for trial. Uh, assuming this pandemic uh, smooths out and, you know, the clients are, are clearly terrified of what that experience is going to be like. And so there's, you know, if you can anticipate, then you can hopefully prepare, you know, the patient or the client for that because it, it really is daunting. And, and obviously these are patients who are capable of even testifying in court. You know, there are obviously lots of TBI survivors who have do not have the capacity to even testify, and it's it's family members that will have to testify on their behalf, and those are obviously the the really serious side of, of these cases. Um, yeah, yeah, and so what you know, what advice do you have for someone listening who presently has a lawyer, but they're finding that their lawyer doesn't understand TBI at all? Um, and I hear this very often as well, that their current lawyer doesn't even really like understand any component of it. Um, you know, what advice would you have for that person listening? Yeah, that's a, that's a really tough situation and it's uh, happens quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I hear stories about clients that, that are not happy with their, their lawyer. Um, you, you know, you as a client uh, or a patient, should have access to your your medical providers and your lawyer. Uh, you should be able to have a conversation with your lawyer, you know, at least within 24 hours of when you want to have that conversation by phone or if the circumstances provide it, you know, I'm again, speaking to the pandemic, uh, an in-person um, sit down. And, you know, what, what really is important, um, this doesn't exactly answer the question, but, you know, going back to the beginning, really vetting the lawyer you hire and making sure that they have competence in, in representing traumatic brain injury survivors. But if you have already hired them and, um, you know, there's there's nothing to say that your lawyer is not capable of representing you zealously. And, you know, making sure to sit down and have that conversation and, um, you know, feeling feeling comfortable that they will represent you appropriately. But what happens commonly is that me or my colleagues will be called by other lawyers who will say, look, I'm in over my head on this case. I don't feel like I'm getting my client to the medical providers that they need to. They don't feel like the medical providers that are treating them are, are, helping them with their symptoms and pointing them in the right direction and giving them the right therapies to, to get better. Can you come in Jeff and take over my case and, and help my client? And, and it takes a lot of uh, caring for a, a lawyer to do that, to say, I think it's time yeah. to pass my case on to someone better equipped. And, but it does happen. And I, I, I would tell a client, to look for reasons to get rid of their lawyer, I think the better thing to do is, is 
look for reasons to find a common ground and an understanding to make sure that everyone's working together. But um, it does happen, and there's, there is no fault in looking for other lawyers who, who are capable of handling that type of case and will give you what you think you deserve and talking to your lawyer about maybe teaming up with someone else, you know, bringing mm-hmm. in a lawyer who really specializes in those types of cases. And, and that, that's, that it, those are a couple options for, for that client or that patient. I mean, it's, these cases are, extremely serious the the first Mm -hmm. thing i tell a jury when one of these cases is in front of them is you know besides my client's family this is the most important thing that will ever happen to them in their life yes yeah going you know trying to um, get recovery for what has happened to them and and for something that is likely uh, almost in all cases permanent something that will stick with them for the rest of their life. I mean, that is, um, that's what their lawyer should understand. And so you know, I, I would, I would definitely um, tell the, the client to, to make sure that they feel comfortable with that. Yeah. You know, I, I was really fortunate um, in the beginning I was probably a week or two into my recovery when a friend reached out and was like, you know, I really think you should get a lawyer. And then my doctor had also said the same thing. I should, I should consider getting a lawyer. And um, my friend gave me the contact information for um, Jim Hoyer that, that I used here in Minneapolis. Um, And he himself had had a TBI like 20 years ago in a car accident. So he fully understood TBI and um, uh, like that was sort of his specialty. Um, yeah. And so I got really lucky cause I mean, I would have just probably pulled out the phone book and called someone. Cause I mean, when you're the one with the brain injury, you, you don't know, you know what I mean? Like you just don't yeah, have totally. those, those, the the rationale to make those decisions and if you don't live with someone or have a spouse or you know someone helping you um you know you just kind of blindly look in the phone book so i feel really fortunate that i had someone reach out with the right lawyer um yeah and you know another point i want to make too is you know these cases take time and i know i hear people get real frustrated it's been a year been 18 months it's like well mine took almost I think five and a half years to settle um because my lawyer told me he he wants to wait to make sure because with TBI you just there's so many unknowns are you going to get better or not right and so he wanted to wait and and see how I recovered um or didn't recover. Right. Um, and so, you know, what would, what do you tell um, clients? Like what's your average? I mean, I don't know if there is an average, but um, you know, what do you tell people for to expect for their settlement? Well, I, you know, Jim really took a responsible approach with your situation because the last thing you want to do is resolve a lawsuit without knowing what the future holds for your client, because you are entitled as a, as a plaintiff to the full measure of any future harm or losses that you will mm-hmm. uh, suffer. Um, so I think that, you know, your case shows the uniqueness behind traumatic brain injury cases. 
Um, I, as a general rule, I would say the case will be resolved 15 months after you file the lawsuit. That's kind of a general rule of thumb, and that's either through settlement, uh, which happens, uh, I'd say, you know, 80% of cases that are, are uh, filed in court, probably higher, um, you know, depending on who the lawyer is. Um, but they can obviously go longer. There are, there are so many pauses, stops, and starts in the legal system, um, but most importantly, you want to um, make sure that you know the what the future holds for you before you resolve the case. Not all cases have to go to court, though. You don't have to file a lawsuit. Um, both attorneys like myself and the insurance companies that are paying the settlements want to resolve uh, the case without a lawsuit and without a trial because there's so much uncertainty. And, and in Ohio, for example, you have two years from the date of the injury uh, to resolve the case. Now, as, as we're saying, sometimes you don't know what, what the future will hold, and it would not mm-hmm. be appropriate to settle the case within that two-year time frame, meaning you would have to file a lawsuit unless you can work out an agreement with the insurance company to keep extending uh, the case out, they would have to agree to what we would call waiving that, that two-year, uh, what's called the statute of limitations. That doesn't always happen, and it's it's not always recommended. Uh, maybe in some circumstances you would do that, but, uh, you know, you do have that two-year time frame, and God be willing, you're, you know, the, the client or the patient has recovered by then, and if so, then, you know, you, you know the maximum amount of time would be two years. Um, but in a lawsuit situation, I'd say about 15 months, and, and that's a long time. It's a long 15 months, and it's yeah. full of anxiety. So it's it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, that's the other. You know, these TBI survivors, as you know, Amy. You know, anxiety and depression come with them. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's a part of it. And yep. a lot of insurance companies will try to say, as you were saying before your client is just depressed. You know, this is something they've had their whole life and it's not a, it's not a brain injury. It's, it's depression. And so explaining how that is really a consequence of the TBI, you know, is another, another thing that your attorney needs to be equipped with explaining and handling and, and conveying to the insurance company. So. Well, Jeffrey, we are just about out of time and I just want to wrap up, um, by asking you, you know, if you have any final thoughts of wisdom for our listeners today. Yeah, thank you. And Amy, thank you so much for having me on the program, especially under the circumstances of what's going on. I hope uh, this is informative for everyone who's, who's at home yeah. and, and uh, hopefully they could take a break and listen. Um, the, the most important thing after a traumatic brain injury, if, if you're able or your family's able, is to get legal counsel right away. I, I have represented many clients who have not come to me um, until, you know, a year after the injury has happened. I, I just met with a young man who uh, has come to me 14 months after a, a very traumatic uh, car accident. His mom brought him in and did most of the talking, but I, I wish he would have come to me right away because evidence yeah. is lost. 
Yeah. Medical treatment is so crucial earlier on. And I, I really, you know, it's easy for me to say because most people do not know where to turn and what to do. Uh, they think that they can handle the case themselves. As you have seen firsthand, mm-hmm. it is nearly impossible to navigate a traumatic brain injury case on your own. It's There's just too many moving pieces. And, and me and my firm um, treat our clients like family. We do everything possible for them. We handle the medical billing situation and health insurance uh, any issues with auto insurance or homeowners insurance, depending on how the accident happened. Um, and, and we're there to provide advice. We we do everything for free. We only recover uh, an attorney fee if we're successful. And so we're there to give advice. And, and I mm-hmm. think that that's what most people need. And, and they need it right away because you want to, you want yes. to get things sorted yeah. out. And so that, that would be my, my advice to anyone who unfortunately has has gone through, you know, what you went through and what so many people are going through is get counsel right away and have someone, have an advocate fighting for you and someone that you can Mm -hmm. call and ask questions and just feel more comfortable with what is certainly the most important thing that's ever happened to them in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just remember as soon as my lawyer took over, I didn't have to make any of the phone calls. I didn't have to do any of the paperwork. (laughs) They did it all. It was like this huge relief, you know, lifted off my back. So yeah, the sooner the better. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for being here today. And if people want to find you, um, what is the best way to find you online? Sure. Well, our uh, web address is nphm.com. That's for Nuremberg with an N as in Nancy, uh, P as in Paul, H as in Henry, M as in McCarthy, uh, dot com. Um, I can be reached directly at, at 216-694-5203. That's literally my direct line right to my, my office. <laughs> Uh, 216-694-5203. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will answer. So uh, you will not get a recording. You won't get an assistant. You'll you'll reach me directly, and I try to answer um, every call that comes in. So those are the best ways. And, Amy, thank you again for having me on the program. You are doing a great service to so many people. Oh, well, thank you for being here. This has been great information, um, very important information. So thank you, Jeffrey, for being here. And thank you for working with the TBI community. It's greatly appreciate it. It's my honor. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and got some good golden nuggets out of it. Again, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And be sure to join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. And just another big thank you to our sponsor, the Functional Neurology Center. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Thank you all for listening and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you again next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.